0: In a moment, you're going to meet my guest, Thomas Lewin, who's an employee ownership professional and advocate in Australia. I caught up with Tom while he was traveling, and unfortunately, the audio is not quite the quality we'd prefer to bring you, but I'm sure you'll agree the quality of the conversation makes up for a little bit of loss of audio. I hope you enjoy.
1: Welcome to the EO Podcast with Brett Kiesling, part of the EO Podcast Network.
0: Hello, my friends. Thanks for listening. My name is Brett Kiesling, and as it says on my business cards, I'm a passionate advocate for employee ownership. I am very excited to bring you somebody who is, without overstating it, kind of catching LinkedIn by storm. He's all over the place with some great posts about employee ownership, and he is based in Sydney, Australia. Thomas Lewin is somebody I've gotten to know in the last five or six months, and I am so grateful that, Tom, you're joining us on the podcast. Welcome. Welcome. Thanks, Brett. Thanks for having me. I'm
1: excited to talk to you and excited to talk to you about employee ownership in Australia. So I'm Tom from ESL Power. So ESL Power is an innovative solution for employee share ownership plans that combines a comprehensive service with a cutting edge platform. We cater to both listed and unlisted companies in Australia, offering bespoke plans online that just manages all your sort of vesting schedules, option exercises, tax computations and any sort of financial reporting obligations. But beyond the service provision, we really view ourselves as partners providing strategic advice and technical expertise for successful, you know, share plan design or the ongoing management of those share plans design, just really to help companies push that message to their employees about employee ownership and what it means to hold equity in your company.
0: So let's talk a little bit about just language and the differences if we can. In the United States, ESOPs are employee stock ownership plans, and that covers one specific type of employee ownership plan. Then we've got trusts, which are a whole different animal. We have worker cooperatives, in australia if i understand correctly everything that that offers employee equity is under the rubric of esops am i saying that right
1: yeah that's correct so when we say esop we're really referring to all different types of compensation plans so they, so it stands for employee share ownership plan instead of stock i mean there's a bit of a language difference there but besides that yeah, it covers everything so i mean if you've got a, a listed company you might have you know your key management personnel plans or a wider ranging plan your tax exemption share plan. But what I'm really passionate about is helping sort of the unlisted companies who are looking to sell their businesses to their employees and design plans around that so they can su- succeed from their company and sell to their employees.
0: And just for our listeners, want to make sure that we cover the lingo correctly. When you say unlisted companies, is that uh, akin to what we would call privately held companies that aren't like listed on a stock exchange? Is that what we're talking about?
1: Yeah, that's absolutely right. Yep, absolutely right. That's going to say unlisted,
0: my apologies. Oh, no, 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 no. Use your language and I'll just kind of help translate it to my audience, but it's, it's it helps us to know exactly what we're talking about, and it's also, I don't want to make an assumption that I've gotten wrong, which is why you know, and I figure if I'm a little bit cloudy on something, maybe somebody in the audience is as well, so forgive my looking for the clarifications, but you use the lingo that you are used to using, and I'll try and make sure that we're all on the same page. So the privately held, the unlisted companies, and that is my sweet spot on the podcast. You know, we often talk in the United States or a lot of people talk that there are 14 to 15 million employee owners, and that's true, but that's lumping in the large public corporations that might have a lot of employee owners, but employee ownership means nothing to how the company is run. So we tend to focus on the three plus million employee owners at privately held companies, and it sounds like that's your passion as well. How did you get into the employee stock ownership field?
1: Yeah, so I actually started for a company called Link Market Services, and they're a share registry. So, you know, they they deal with all the, the shares, and part of that is they did have employee administration So for those share plans. And I started in their contact centers, actually, and I just remember getting those calls from those employees and listening to how confused they were, confused about their employee share plan, confused about what it meant, confused about how, how to view their equity, how to understand it. And that's, that's really a problem that I looked to solve. And yeah, I I worked for almost five years in various different roles in relation to employee share plans. And, you know, I really found myself enjoying it and helping these employees. I mean, it was a lot, really, really satisfying. And, And that was, again, sort of that listed, more listed space, but there was few unlisted clients. But it wasn't really about employee ownership. It was really only once I started doing a little bit more research into what employee equity is and how it impacts everything. When I came across organizations like Employee Ownership Australia and read some of their material and understood, hey, there are actually these companies out here are purpose-built to be employee-owned, where everybody gets to share in the decisions and the growth of the company.
0: So how long ago when you formed ESOP Pal, when did that come about?
1: Yeah, so eSOL Power is fairly new. It's only within the last year. So a part of my background as well is I'm also a software. So I've been programming since I was a teenager as my my father was a programmer as well. So I, I saw how other people were managing sort of the administration. And I thought, you know, this, this isn't the best. There's a better solution out there. And I tried working for a few businesses to help them build that solution. But I decided, you know, they don't really have the same vision as I have. So I decided to go on my own.
0: That is a classic entrepreneurial spirit where somebody tries to fit into someone else's mold and realizes not everybody has the entrepreneurial spirit, but for those that do, it's an opportunity to create your own mold. And it sounds like that's exactly what you're doing.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And you know, I'm trying to gear it to more about employee ownership and more about the education of what equity is and how it can assist you how can assist the employee financially and and the benefits of being an employee owner
0: so i know from esop pals website and it's conveniently enough esoppal.com and we'll include a link in our show notes but you mentioned the bespoke design of plans for companies you, I know from that that you help with the administration, which sounds like how it was kind of your entree into the field. And then I noticed that you can also help with valuation services, and I was a little bit surprised by that. In the United States, the valuation services tend to be, you know, its own specialty, so if someone's doing admin, they're not necessarily evaluators as well. Are these full-on financial valuations? Are they, you know, more of consulting? But tell us a little bit about how that works.
1: Yeah. So, so I have a partner who does the valuation. So I'm not a valuation expert apart from it. So my partner takes care of that sort of work and he's been doing it, you know, for over a decade. So he's quite, you know, understands what he's Doing and provide a a solid report. It's a 30-page report that goes through all the financials and non-financials the business provides and accurate valuation.
0: And that is is that both for if a transaction were to take place and the initial the company initially becoming employee owned as well as on an ongoing annual basis? Do you have those annual requirements like we do in the United States? Yes,
1: absolutely. So we we tend to tell our clients to get a valuation once a year. They don't necessarily need to. But they definitely need to have an updated valuation anytime they allocate any sort of equity, whether it be options, rights, or shares to employees. So it's, it's definitely something to do, I feel, every year. Valuation, you send that out to your employees saying, hey, look, we, we had a fantastic year. Look, look at what your shares are worth now. And it can really promote that talk about employee ownership.
0: It's fascinating to me, you know, ESOPs in the United States being a creation of Congress, statutorily we are required to provide valuations on an annual basis and we have learned and i talk about it on the podcast quite a bit there's a there's a huge beautiful industry of those working on the culture side of esops trying to build up the company culture that understands the annual meetings and sometimes quarterly and 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 twice a year meetings are a great way by sharing the financial data are a great way to pump up the morale of the employee owners and and the company, and it leads to increased share value. But it seems that Australia is finding its way to do that without it being required by the government. Yeah,
1: absolutely. And one of the changes that happened recently in October last year, so one of the disclosure requirements now is to provide financial statements, especially if there's any sort of monetary consideration that the employee has to pay. So if it's options and they have to pay or just straight up buying shares. The company needs to provide those financial statements to the employee. And if you're providing those statements, it's important that you sit down and you talk through them. You need to educate them on what that actually means and how to read them. Otherwise, they're just going to look at it once and go, I don't get this. I don't really understand this. And they're going to lose interest in being an employee owner, really.
0: If it is not a meaningful part of their existence, and there are some we have discovered that you know, if the money is good enough, if their accounts grow enough and they're seeing the checks, that certainly is helpful. But when we talk about employee ownership and employee-owned companies, the way we talk about them on the podcast, it involves not just the equity of the employees, but some level of participation and voice in the company as well, you know, that that is the way to ideally really get everybody to have buy-in, which again, adds to profitability, et cetera.
1: Yeah, I definitely agree. So I I guess if we look at some of the work that is at the National Center of Employee Ownership, the NCEO in America, yeah, they they talk about this deeply. They go into details saying, you know, all the things they talk about, what ESOPs are good for, you know, growth, retention, all the good things. If you don't do the culture side, it's, it doesn't work. And that, that's really the, the dirty little secret of the employee share plan industry. When they talk about all these benefits, like, oh, put an employee share plan in. But if you just put it in, it's just another widget. It's just another way to get, you know, a bonus as an employee. If, if you don't put that culture bit in, it's just not going to mean much to the employees.
0: I love that there are lessons that we can learn here that translate to Australia Can you give us a little bit of a thumbnail sketch of how long has employee ownership been around in Australia? Can you just kind of talk a little bit about the
1: path? Yeah, so I guess employee ownership has been around for a while. I mean, we've we've got what we call employee share schemes, which allows you to take advantage of certain tax concessions for the employee. So one particular plan we have is called a tax exempt plan so you can give employees up to a thousand dollars worth of shares absolutely free and no tax on them a thousand dollars isn't a lot these days i think when it was first introduced it was you know years ago decades ago now and it might have been significant back then but that's that needs to be adjusted this this other limits in there as well that need to be adjusted but like i said there were some changes in october 2022 so that there's a bit more flexibility there, what we can do in terms of how much we can actually give to employees or how much employees can actually buy themselves if they're interested in buying in. But yeah, it's, it's definitely been around longer than I've been alive. So before <laughs> the 90s, but yeah. yeah, I think, you know, it's it's progressing and getting more and more common. And I think startups have a huge, huge impact on the industry just Just in the last couple of years from 2018 onwards, we're seeing the startup community, practically if they don't have an employee share plan in place, those sort of VC firms just just won't even invest with them. And that sort of actions and those startups have started to move towards the privately held companies and to the other companies so we can sort of introduce the idea of employee ownership, not just, you know, receiving options as a form of compensation.
0: I love that. And if it truly takes hold among the startups, first of all, you have the value of those startups themselves. But I imagine that will go a long way to bringing employee ownership into more of the popular culture. You know, we we have a challenge here, where in many respects in the United States, the employee ownership is as robust as it's ever been. In 2020 or so, I ran a series all year long on the podcast of Are We a Movement? And, uh, you know, I'd have various thought leaders here in the United States come on and, and just one of the ongoing threads was, you know, what, what makes something a political or a social movement and are we there yet? And the general sense was, no, we're ne- not there yet but now just 3 years later seems to be a movement we're we're getting a lot of legislative victories we're getting a lot of groundswell but the average american as i go and you know just go about my day if people say what do you do i host podcasts what's it on i just say business podcasts because initially if I say, oh, it's the ESOP podcast, people will just look blankly at me and that hurts my feelings. Are, is there more of an acceptance or awareness in Australia of employee ownership?
1: So the awareness is definitely lacking. So whenever I talk to someone and they ask what I do and I say, you know, I'm in employee ownership, I'm employee shares, most people unless less you know, they've got some sort of RSUs or some sort of plan in their company and they're a senior and receiving equity as form of payment. They're not really aware of what it is. I find that a lot of business owners don't even realize that there's this vehicle out there that they can use to sell their business to their employees. They, they just don't realize it exists. And part of what I'm trying to do is spread awareness, trying to get these tools to these these businesses.
0: Are you active with Ownership Australia or are there other organizations as well? So
1: Employee Ownership Australia is the main one. I'm not really sure of any other organization in Australia. So I'm constantly, constantly chatting with them and they do great work. And I think, yeah, if I could be more involved with them, I'd like to be more involved. But, you know, they seem pretty busy at the moment. And, you know, in in due time, I think I'll be able to help them out a little bit more.
0: So the National Center of Employee Ownership has a professional staff of folks that that's all they do. You know, and our other organizations, by the way, and I'll mention the United States, just so I'm not in trouble, the ESOP Association, and then there are, we have state centers, the Employee Ownership Expansion Network is putting state mm-hmm. centers in many of our 50 states. So we have the professional staff who is tasked with growing employee ownership, but they're also supported by many, many Employee-owned companies, professional advisors, you know, people doing the work that you're looking to do as well. Is that the same sort of thing with Employee Ownership Australia, where it's a combination of professionals looking to spread the word as well as support from companies and professional advisors?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, so it's the same sort of model, just a much smaller scale, unfortunately. So they seem to be growing and getting bigger and bigger. And I think as the industry grows and as employee ownership becomes more common and business become more aware of it, I think you know their role will increase and they'll be more present. And I think you know they're the most present in Australia on employee ownership, and they have great resources for all sorts of companies.
0: Excellent. Is it a coincidence that you have garnered so much attention through LinkedIn? And I realize social media is social media, but you really have come out. Your posts are often well-liked by numerous people. And again, I, I notice that a lot of times it's, you know, my colleagues in the United States who have also kind of taken an appreciation for what you're doing Was there any kind of mindfulness for you to attract the attention of those in the United States? Or is that just one of those fun things with social media where you're making new friends all over the world?
1: Well, I think it's just hard to find in Australia is other people in the employee share plan industry. because It's not very big. So it was hard to connect and, you know, as I was going through the industry, I was trying to learn more and more and more. So I started trying to connect with, you know, anyone, whether they're in the US, UK, Canada, wherever, just to learn more about what they're doing, how they do it, how things work and, you know, what could potentially work here and what what good parts could we take from other models. And implemented into the models here. and I think you know I've, I've spoken to people in Europe. There's I forget his name now, a man in Slovenia that's created sort of what he calls the European ESOP model, which which is fantastic. And then you know there's there's the EOT in the UK. And again, you know I'm not necessarily a huge fan of the EOT as I think there are some shortfalls, but there's the shortfalls of the ESOP model as well. I mean, mainly sort of the repurchase obligations. So, you know, when an employee retires or leaves the company and you have to repurchase the shares, there's a bit of risk there. So it's, it's hard to solve all these problems. But I think, you know, I think if the whole industry worldwide works together, we could definitely get there and create some sort of model that could work across borders and really, really just be easy to implement and use.
0: I love that. And it also reminded me a little bit, Tom, that, you know, for example, in Britain, if you're talking about employee ownership, you are chances are talking about EOTs. That is the employee ownership trust. That is the prevalent by far format of employee ownership in the UK. In the United States, we have come so far with trusts and I think Canada is starting to catch up to uh, encourage employee ownership trusts as well. But in the United States, if you just go back to maybe 2017, 2018, I was an ESOP trustee for seven years. And to me, the employee ownership trust paled significantly compared to U.S. ESOPs. And I was just very skeptical and somehow I don't know if it was just during COVID when I had a lot of time on my hands, but I looked at them and I'm a big supporter of employee ownership trusts in the United States now because they're cheaper to get into, sometimes significantly cheaper to get into than, than establishing a U.S. ESOP. This is the first podcast where I felt compelled to say U.S. ESOP every time I mentioned ESOP. So this is training for me. But but they're a lot less expensive. And if the company is going to be true to the values of employee ownership trusts, then I welcome them very much to what I call the EO sandbox. So it's kind of interesting that your view on EOTs seem to be a little bit like where mine was five or six years in the United States. And it's just kind of an interesting progression. Is there anything that stands out that, that that affects your comfort level? Not that we would trash the EOTs in, in Australia, but what is it that gives you hesitation? I
1: just think in the EOT in general is there's there's no real ownership of the shares. So the, the trust own the shares and you know it's kind of like a profit share scheme you're getting paid out. So my questions come around retention and you know retirement, you know, say I always bring up this example. Say if you've worked for a company for for 20 years and then you retire the next day, and then the day following, the company gets sold. You you wouldn't receive any of that sort of benefit because you were already out of the trust. You've already left. So that's that's one big thing that I don't like about it. And I, I try and think, how do you do that? But then again, in regards to that, if the only way to get your money out of an employee share plan is to leave the company, then there's an incentive to leave the company as well. So there's all these pros and cons about it. And the other part that was mentioned to me about an EOT is initially all the, all the employees in the EOT will be using those profits to, to buy the shares from the founder, from the owner, whoever sold the shares to the EOT, and, and that this out on some of that profit generation. So the next generation that comes into that company will be rewarded more than the first generation that worked harder to, to pay off the owner. So there's those sort of risks as well. But again, going back to the eSOP, there's that repurchase obligation. And I think the European ESOP model seems seems to sort of resolve a little bit of that repurchase obligation, basically by limiting the number of shares. And as it gets to a certain point, they buy the older shares back from those employees to give to the new employees. And so that's that's an interesting method of doing it. But that there are always going to be pros and cons to any sort of vehicle that you use for employee ownership. And it's just about working out what works best and what works best for one company might not work best for the other. Come back to sort of also a small company. So say it's a company of five or six employees and you've got two really, really key people hit there and you know the founder sold it to them. If those two people decide to leave, then the business might just fall flat. Just disappear. And all those other four employees are sitting there like, oh, well, we don't know how to do this. We don't know how to run the business. So my understanding is maybe an EOT plus some sort of share plan for those senior staff to keep them retained just until the business is is big enough to sort of have a wider spread EOT might be effective in that retention.
0: So it's wonderful that you have the ability and perhaps it's even a little bit of a luxury to study all of the forms of employee ownership around the world, and then try and figure out how you might be able to bring little pieces of that to Australia. That seems to be a pretty good place for you to be in.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's about, you know, using LinkedIn to your advantage, connecting to other people in the employee ownership space, talking to them, figuring out what they're doing. You know, are they doing anything exciting and new? And sure enough, you'll, you'll find people that sorts of different models who think this is the best way and, you know, you get the pros, you can get the pros from everybody from each different model. And then you can just compare and see, you know, what do I like? What what has worked well for companies that I know? What hasn't worked well for companies that I know? And and just keep, keep reiterating on the model until you, until you get an effective model that works for, you know, most most companies. It's, it's not going to work for everybody. I mean, any plan that you put in, ones will work better in other companies than others. And it, it really just depends on, Again, what the founder wants, what the owner wants for the company, because you can't you can't really go against what they, their vision is and then what, what the employees are actually going to want.
0: We have learned in the United States that one of the selling points for ESOPs to selling shareholders as they're looking at, you know, they often reach the point, we call it here, the silver tsunami. It's all the baby boomers who own businesses although we need to not pigeon ourselves too far into that because there are plenty of folks, say, in their prime who are also looking to get some liquidity or that sort of thing. We often use it as a selling point that employee ownership is an amazing way to maintain the the business founder's legacy by keeping the company in communities, whereas if you sell to a competitor, at least here, you're likely to be moved to where the competitor's home office is. And so it's keeps the jobs in the community. It creates a tremendous amount of loyalty for the founder selling shareholder from those who stay because they realize essentially they've been given this gift of employee ownership. Is there a similar vibe in Australia? Does employee ownership tend to help with company and community stability?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think the the guys out of Employee Ownership Australia can definitely talk more to that as they've implemented some of those EOT structures. So where it's, they're really going for the the full employee ownership buyer. Whereas what I found is there's not as many companies in Australia that want to do that. They want to give, you know, 20, 30, 40% of the company to the employees. They're not 100% sure they want to go completely employee owned. And, you know, that's, that's their, you know, if a founder's gone out They've they built the business over 20 years, they, they want to get compensated and they're not 100% sure what they want to do. But I always say, you know, once you get to that 30, 40% mark, you can think about, you know, do you want to continue this? Is this working well? Do you want to continue selling your company? And, and I think, you know, employee ownership is still fairly new to a lot of these businesses. And as time goes on, you know, more people will get comfortable of selling their entire company to their employees.
0: It's funny, one of the things that we often hear in the United States, and I met with a client in the last week or two that the selling shareholder echoed some of the same thoughts, which are, you know, they are worried that if they create a 100% ESOP or even a 51% ESOP, that they will somehow lose control or the ESOP trustee will try and take things over or quote unquote, steal the company from underneath them. And I can tell you that it is so misunderstood. and, And I mentioned that, you know, I was an ESOP trustee for seven years as a trustee, I needed the people who knew how to run the company to run the company. I wasn't trying to steal anything, you know? So we look at those roles, but there's that hesitation that is understandable, but a little bit um, unfortunate because it really is based on fear and misunderstanding and not on reality. But is there that similar viewpoint in Australia that, you know, if we put too much into employee ownership that we might lose control?
1: Yeah, absolutely. That's that same sort of thinking here. I think it's more about the awareness piece of teaching about employee ownership. And as we teach it more to everybody, then it'll become more common. And that's, that's really my push is to try and push employee ownership into the popular culture. So everybody is aware of it. Everybody understands it. It's not a foreign concept. And then everyone's aware of those companies that are already employee-owned and doing fantastic. So there's companies that have been around for years. So, I mean, we can just just look at those for examples to see that, you know, they're they're not looking to take over the company and only have employee interests. And, I mean, one of the things they always talk about giving management shareholding is to align management interests with shareholder interests. So, I mean, eventually, if you get the company to be 100% employee-owned, they're all going to be interested in, you know, making that company better And that's going to be a win for their community and a win for any other stakeholders or suppliers for that company, because they're just going to look to do the best they can possibly do rather than short-term gains.
0: I love that you said that, Tom. And one of the things that has struck me in employee ownership, and I've been what we call a serial entrepreneur. For me, I have always believed, and it's kind of the US capitalism of acting in the best interest of the shareholders, or I've understood it. And to me having the employee owners be the shareholders is a great way to kind of soften some of the ugliness, you know, when the steel barons going back to the late 1800s, and I don't know why I decided to pick on them for the example, but the steel barons in the United States who got filthy, filthy rich and a lot of employees died while they were acting in the best interest of the shareholders. So for me, by making the employees the shareholders and having that alignment now, you know, during COVID, we saw in the U.S., four times less likely during COVID to have layoffs, three to four times less likely to have pay cuts. Whereas that's because the employees and the shareholders now are the same and their viewpoints align. And I just think that that's a a very powerful piece of the employee ownership puzzle to me.
1: Yeah, I definitely agree. Because if you have the employees thinking like owners, they're going to behave in that way. They understand the business still needs to make a profit. They understand the business still needs to grow, but they also understand, you know, we can't afford to to lose this employee you know I, I know exactly what that guy knows and if he leaves you know i'm going to be lost i'm not going to be able to do my job i'm not going to be able to get that done and and i think you know if you just look at numbers you you really miss that you, you really miss you know even with employees that may not be you know a players they could be b or c players but that c player could be a central piece for the culture so if you you remove that person suddenly everyone's down and they don't want to work anymore and they don't produce the same level. So, I mean, just looking at numbers alone will never give you a full picture of how a business should be run.
0: I think that makes a lot of sense. What is the number one takeaway? You know, my audience primarily in the United States, what is the number one takeaway you would like Americans to know about Australia employee ownership and what can the U.S. employee ownership field do to support Australians' efforts to grow weo
1: Yeah, so just that it's, it's still growing and we're trying to spread more awareness. And I think, you know, if you, if you really want to help employee share ownership here in Australia is either to get in touch with me or the Employee Ownership Australia team and that they'll be able to really help guide where you push, push your message.
0: So Tom, as we move towards wrapping up, I hope that folks will, first of all, check out our show notes. We'll have links to you and Aesop Pal and Employee Ownership Australia so that folks can find them. But there is, and I've said this a lot of times on social media and on a number of podcasts, Employee Ownership Anywhere helps employee ownership everywhere. And I think it kind of ties in and it's probably gives us a chance to circle back to where we started. It ties into why I think your employee ownership posts are resonating so much on LinkedIn with the U.S. audience. You have a vibe that is very reminiscent to me of Darren Gleeman, who's one of my friends in the United States with MBO Ventures, who Darren literally changed the way I talk about employee ownership, because he said for 30 years, we've been talking about it wrong. And he just had a fresh new take Quit scaring people about government oversight, quit scaring people about, you know, a lot of the details and just focus on the profitability and the tax savings and and that sort of thing. And you have that very similar vibe that you're trying to not just explain employee ownership, but almost breaking through the clutter with, hey, we're, we're, we're not looking at it the right way. And you just have a very positive vibe in your posts that I hope everybody will check out because it really is a refreshing way to talk about ESOPs and employee ownership.
1: Yeah, so you know I try and remain positive and I try and talk about the positives. I mean, employee share plans can be complex, but that doesn't mean you know we have to focus on that. We can focus on the good things that come from it. And I actually follow Darren. I actually enjoy his posts quite a bit. I think he's he's quite a great guy.
0: He came on, and I'll just tell this quick anecdote because I, I, I liked Darren a lot, considered him a friend, and really, I'm not kidding. He came on, and some of his early posts, I didn't quite get. And he came on, and I think the topic of his very first episode was you're talking about Aesop's wrong. And dude, all I do is talk about Esops and employee ownership and that sort of thing. So I was loaded for bear and it was, it was gonna be positive, but I was gonna give Darren pushback and like six minutes into the episode, I'm like, holy moly, I've been talking about them wrong. And we need people like that and people like yourself to kind of shake things up and get us out of sort of the thinking that has brought us to where we are But it's not the thinking that will get us to where we need to be, you know, it's reaching that next level of stuff. So I will remind everybody again, on LinkedIn, you go by your full name of Thomas Lewin, Aesop Pal, and I'm actually really proud. I did a little bit of sharing and promoting of Aesop Pal when you guys, I think, first started your page on LinkedIn, and maybe a dozen followers, and with all of the efforts that you've been doing, and hopefully I've been a little bit of a boost, but I noticed you're well into the two hundreds now, plenty of room to grow. But it's been very fun for me in the last couple of months just to watch you get the followers and see your presence on on LinkedIn grow. It's 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 been a pleasure to watch. Yeah,
1: it's it's absolutely a fun journey to see people connect and to read pages and you know respond to posts. I think you know if I could just keep putting out good content about employee ownership and educating others about what's going on in the world. Because we can get pretty narrow to, you know, just our local communities and what's happening here, rather than thinking, you know, there's all this happening around the world. It's it's a global movement. It's not just in one location.
0: And we can all learn from each other. And I'm very sincere. I said it just a couple of minutes ago, but employee ownership anywhere helps employee ownership everywhere. So we can all learn from each other. But I'd also encourage people to like and share your posts and from around the world because we're really in this together. Some of the specifics vary. Some of the details vary, but ultimately what we share is an understanding that by providing equity to employees, it is a life-changing event for the employees and the companies, and that we are all in agreement on. So, So, Tom, thank you for everything that you are doing. Thank you for showing up on the scene of employee ownership internationally. I wish you great success. And hopefully we may reach out. We're, we're getting ready to take our summer break, but maybe in the fall, we'll see if we can't get a couple of the folks from Employee Ownership Australia to come on and anything at all that I can do or, or my team can do to help promote your efforts. Dude, we're all in because you've got just a great outlook, a great vibe on employee ownership, and we want to be as supportive of you as we can.
1: Thanks, Brett. Really appreciate it.
0: All right. With that, we're going to wrap up today's episode of the podcast. I'm very appreciative of Tom Lewin. You'll find him, Thomas Lewin, on LinkedIn. Look for Esop Pal on LinkedIn and support our friends in Australia as they are supporting us. We are all in this together, the effort to grow employee ownership. I appreciate Tom and I appreciate you, the listener. Thank you so much. This is Brett Kiesling. Be well. We'd love to hear from you. You can find us on Facebook at EO Podcast Network and on Twitter at ESOP
1: Podcast. This podcast has been produced by Brett Kiesling for the EO Podcast Network. Original music composed by Max Kiesling. Branding and marketing by Bitsy Plus Design. And I'm Bitsy McCann.